words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Two things. One, I got a text from Vitalis this morning at 7.30. He got home at 7.30 this morning. He left here at 9.30 on Thursday morning. But he's home, and the bags made it. That's a good thing. Uh, the 15-hour layover in Dubai. <laughs> man, oh, man. And you'll probably notice I have glasses. These are progressives. How many of you wear progressive lenses? How many of you used to wear progressive lenses? Well, I'm working on it. I've had them. I almost. I haven't had them a week yet, but you know, it's uh, it's a process, and um, I find that I like. I'm re- I, I'm going to read it a little phrase out of this Bible, which is pretty small print in a minute, and I can do it. And I, I have a coach. I have a helper. Helper. Who loves me very much. <laughs> anyway, I want to talk to you this morning about this uh, reading from Philippians. Just a couple of verses. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the big idea today is be anxious for nothing, trust God in all things. Be anxious for nothing, trust God in all things. The most reverend R.C. Trench who was at one time the Protestant Archbishop of Dublin, had a morbid fear of becoming paralyzed. One evening at a party, the lady he sat next to at dinner heard mumbling mournfully to himself, It's happened at last, total insensibility of the right limb. Your grace, said the lady, it may comfort you to learn that it is my leg you are pinching. So sometimes it's not what we think it is, you know. They say that over 100 uh, diseases are attributed to anxiety. They can be physical, they can be emotional, they can be mental. But Paul tells us today to have no anxiety about anything. I mean, what would we be anxious about today? Everything's so good. It's perfect. You know, the country's never been better. The world is at peace and rest. Nothing going wrong. Our Our schools, our children are getting the best education they possibly could. The economy's never been in better shape. You know, our military's never been stronger. I'm in denial. <laughs> Somebody says I'm in denial. I think we're, we're living in a time that none of us have ever experienced before in one way or another, whether it's the nation, whether it's uh, and all the things that have to do with that, whether it's family, whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's the economy, whether it's the world scene, especially with what's happening right now in Israel, you know, who's going to be involved in that, what's going to happen going down the line, what will be the next series of events that take place in that situation. We don't know. Um, But Paul tells us, don't be anxious about anything. Trust God in all things. What is worry? 
Worry is a troubled state of mind resulting from concern about current or potential difficulties. All anxiety is a result of uncertainty. I say that all the time, but it's so true. We're anxious because we don't know what's going to happen. We're anxious because we don't know the outcome. Someone said, worry is the interest paid on trouble before it falls due. Worry is the interest we pay on tomorrow's troubles. Worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. And worry gives a small thing a big shadow. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by anxiety and worry, depending upon what the situation is in our lives. Someone once said to me, and I've said it a lot, be kind to everyone you meet because everyone you meet is up against it. There are things in everyone in this church right now has something in your life that you wish was different. And there's a situation that is uncertain. We don't know the, you don't know the outcome. How is this going to work out? How is it going to turn out? What are they going to do? And so this is, be not anxious. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made it clear that worry stems from a lack of faith and wrong focus. Um, on the things of this world and not the kingdom of God. He puts it this way in, in Matthew. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or about your body. What you shall put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither spin nor they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let today's own trouble be sufficient the day. And that's Jesus really telling us the same thing that Paul is telling us today. Do not be anxious about what is going to happen. If you're anxious, examine your lack of, uh, either your lack of faith or your focus. Do I have faith that God is with me? God is active in this particular situation or am I focusing on the wrong things? Am I living for Christ and his kingdom or am I really living too much for myself? It's fine to be concerned about things in life, health, family, work, whatever it might be, but when concern turns to worry, it becomes sin. The Bible tells us not to be anxious, and it says it 365 times. 365 times. How many days are in a year? It does not mean you can be anxious and worry on February 29th every fourth year. No. That is, you don't get a day off. 
Worry is like spinning your tires, lots of energy, not a lot of movement. Concern moves you in the right direction. It really is like a hamster. Worry and anxiety never get you where you want to go. Concern is different. Concern means you have some effect on the situation or the outcome. Concern, you can make decisions that will have uh, an impact on whatever the situation is. But anxiety and worry, it, it just, you spin your wheels and you, you exercise, you, you lose a lot of, you use a lot of energy, but you don't get anywhere with it. We've all experienced this. We've all fallen into this. Paul says we must practice prayer with thankfulness about all of our concerns. And rather than talk to ourselves, we are to talk to God. Do I pray? You know, have I, have I made this a matter of prayer? I got these glasses on Monday. And I got progressives because I wanted to be able to read the, the altar book and then look back here and read the thing without taking my glasses off. Okay? I, I've been using some driving glasses and I had readers. But I was struggling to read the book and I definitely couldn't read that. But coming in this morning, I could look up and read the hymn for the first time in a long time, you know, which is good. But then there's this reading thing. Don't move your head, move your eyes. Hold the book. No, no, this should be down lower, higher. Where? I don't know. Lord, <laughs> you know I need glasses for certain things. And you know that what I've done is hopefully follow you and get these progressive lenses. And I pray that your, my brain is going to adjust to these like people tell me they will. It will. So that I won't have to struggle to read or to adjust or to change my focus or whatever it might be. So, Lord, I just pray that you would help me not to be anxious about this, not to worry about this, not to stress about this, but to work through it so that in time it becomes second nature and natural. In Jesus' name, amen. I will let you know how it goes. <clears throat> Paul says there's two elements to prayer, supplication, which is asking and thanksgiving. James puts it a little harshly. He says, you desire uh, and you do not have, so you kill and you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. Are we asking God? I was just asking God to help me through this. Or I could just be anxious about it and spin my wheels and really not get anywhere, you know. We're not living victoriously because we're not living for the Lord. Our hearts are not right with God. We look too much to the world and all of its cares. And I'm not saying we should be dis disconnected from the world. These things around us that are happening are important. They affect us. My prayer would be for us, how can we have an impact on what's happening in the world? How can the people of God make a difference in a world that's gone crazy, that's gone nuts and haywire in so many so many ways, you know, you see these young people at universities supporting Hamas after what they did because they don't know. 
I think they're ignorant. You see the United States making decisions that don't seem to make sense. You see um, what happened in Israel and how it's going to be turned back on Israel as the, as the aggressor nation and all this kind of stuff when there's more to it than that. And we need to be able to stand up, speak up, push back through our prayers and maybe through some actions that we can take to make a difference locally and maybe even further than that. Rather than just wring our hands, shake our heads and say, ain't, ain't, ain't it awful? What's for lunch? We need to be active in this. Jesus puts it this way. He says, ask and it will be given. You seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Bruce Wilkinson. Bruce Wilkinson had a piece. <clears throat> Tells about a, it's a fable about a Mr. Jones who dies and goes to heaven. Peter is waiting at the gates to give him a, a tour. Amid the splendor of golden streets, beautiful mansions, and choirs of angels that Peter shows him, Mr. Jones notices an odd-looking building. He thinks it looks like an enormous warehouse. It has no windows and only one door. But when he asks to see inside, Peter hesitates. You really don't want to see what's in there, he tells the new arrival. Why would there be any secrets in heaven, Jones wonders. What incredible surprise could be waiting for me in there? When the official tour is over, he's still wondering. So he asks again to see inside the structure. Finally, Peter relents. When the apostle opens the door, Mr. Jones almost knocks him over in his haste to enter. It turns out that the enormous building is filled with row after row of shelves, floor to ceiling, with each stacked neatly with white boxes tied in red ribbons. These boxes all have names on them, Mr. Jones muses along, along. And then turning to Peter, he asks, do I have one? Yes, you do. Peter tries to guide Mr. Jones back outside. Frankly, Peter says, if I were you, but Mr. Jones is already dashing toward the J aisle to find his box. Peter follows, shaking his head. He catches up with Mr. Jones just as he is uh, slipping the red ribbon off his box and popping the lid. Looking inside, Jones has a moment of instant recognition, and he lets out a deep sigh like the ones Peter has heard so many times before. Because there in Mr. Jones's white box are all the blessings that God wanted to give to him while he was on earth. But Mr. Jones had never asked. That's what Paul says today. Ask. James says you don't have because you don't ask. Jesus says you don't have because you don't ask. Are there things in our lives that are different, that we would rather be different? Are we asking God to intervene? Show us a way forward. Show us a direction. Show us a course of action that we might take to make a difference in that particular situation. Prayer is the antidote to worry. Prayer acknowledges our weaknesses and our dependence upon God. Unlike worry, prayer is actually productive. When you pray, you feel different. I actually 
I prayed that prayer sort of as an illustration of a, of a simple thing like this. But I actually feel better. I feel more confident. I feel like God is now actively working with me so that this thing works, you know, rather than just sort of being on my own struggling with it. The promise is that with prayer, the peace that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ. It passes all understanding because it makes no earthly sense. People will say, how can you be at peace at a time like this? And the answer is God. God is with me. God is intervening. God is active. God is working in this particular situation that I'm going through right now. Duke University did a study on peace of mind. Factors found to contribute greatly to emotional and mental stability. There were eight of them. One, the absence of suspicion and resentment. Nursing a grudge was a major factor in unhappiness. Are there things in your life that you're like a dog gnawing on a bone that will never change, but you still refuse to let go? Very much like number two, not living in the past. An unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression. The past is the past. It can't be changed. You can learn from it. You can say no more of that. Going forward, life is going to be different. I'm going to live my life in a different way. I'm going to make different choices. I'm going to make more godly choices than I made in the past. But if I continue to live like that, it never gets any better. This is the way, this is the future. This is the past. God wants you to be walking into the future. Too many people walk like this, looking at the past, living in the past. The future is just whatever. It doesn't work. Three, not wasting your time and energy fighting conditions you cannot change. Cooperate with life instead of trying to run away from it. A lot of things in our lives are real, but we can't change it. We have to cope with it. We have to learn how to maybe live with it and ask God to intervene to help us do that in a goodly, godly way. You know, Vic, you're probably not going to run any marathons anytime soon, right? You know, well, you're planning on it? No, okay. Well... <laughs> But, you know, you come here week after week with a smile on your face, and you actually show up during the week. You know, you're not letting us get you down, at least as far as I can tell, because you've come to grips with it. This isn't going to change, you know. You can, there's a whole period of things that in your life that you wish were different, but they're not going to change. Four, force yourself to stay involved with the living world. Resist the temptation to withdraw and become reclusive during periods of emotional stress. Very often people will run and hide. They, they, they won't participate in normal activities. If you're involved with a group and there are people who come to that group on a regular basis, or somebody that normally would be in church, you don't see them for a while, or you're in a Bible study, or you're in a, any kind of a group, all of a sudden, you know, Frank's not there or Mary's not showing up. Has anybody seen them? Has anybody talked to them? What's going on? Call them up. Find out what's happening. 
and encourage them not to stay away. Encourage them to come back and interact and be part of that group. That group loves them. They can help. They have helped to them. Encourage that person to pray. Invite God into that situation rather than just kind of isolating themselves. Nothing good happens when you do that. Five, refuse to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal. Accept the fact that nobody gets through life without some sorrow and dysfunction. Cultivate, six, cultivate the old-fashioned virtues of love, humor, compassion, and loyalty. Think about those things. Try to see the bright side in things that look pretty bleak. Seven, do not expect too much of yourself when there is too wide a gap between self-expectation and your ability to meet the goals you have set. Feelings of inadequacy are inevitable. And I want to tell you, the enemy is whispering in your ear, you're no good, you're a failure. I told you this wouldn't work. Well, maybe it didn't work. Well, what do we do? We take a look at why it didn't work and we make some changes and we see if this will work. Maybe we have to align ourselves with different people the next time. Maybe we have to have a different plan or a different attitude. But if God is with us and God is with us, he wants us to succeed in godly endeavors. He really does. And finally, eight, find something bigger than yourself to believe in. Self-centered, egotistical people are lowest uh, in any test for measuring happiness. Find something bigger than yourself to believe in. And that would be the things of God. That would be the kingdom of God. What does God want? How can I be involved in that? How can I be of help um, with that? How can we have peace in the midst of the storms of life? What is it about turning to the Lord in worshipful, confident and grateful prayer that brings calm in the turning. When we pray in this way, we are reminding ourselves that our God is capable. It is like the old Allstate insurance commercials. We remind ourselves that we are in good hands. When we remember what God is able to do, it helps us to relax. When we pray, we remind ourselves of how caring God is. God knows our need and wants, us, wants to help us with it. He's not indifferent. He is willing to help us when we ask for his help. When we pray, we remind ourselves of how wise God is. In our prayers, we remember that God knows what he is doing. What he allows, he allows for a reason. Now, you put these things all together, and you can see why peace comes. Let's play this out. Let's suppose you have recently had a medical test. You haven't felt well and you're concerned. No, you're not concentrating because of the anxiety. One minute. Okay. You're not concerned. You're worried. You can't sleep. As you anticipate the tests and the results of the test, you recognize the churning building inside of you and you find a quiet place to spend some time with God. You don't just utter a quick prayer, you actually spend time with God talking about the situation. You confess your anxiety and your concerns. You ask God for help, you tell him that you know he loves you and that you trust him. And you keep telling him 
this until you believed what you were saying. Suddenly, you're reminded of several things. You're reminded that the God who loved you enough to send his son in to, for your salvation is not going to abandon you now. You're reminded that God's wisdom is far superior to anything the world can muster. You realize that this crisis is an opportunity to demonstrate trust. You're reminded of God's power. It is a power to change circumstances or help us through the worst of circumstances. You are reminded that even if the worst case scenario comes, you have cancer and die. This life is not all there is. There is more to life than existence. You are reminded that it is not for how long, not how long you live, but how faithfully you live. And so finally, here's the question. Is there anxiety that is robbing you of joy today? As I've been talking about worry, did you find your mind drifting to the problem that weighs heavy on your heart? Have you had trouble concentrating because of the anxiety that seems to be smothering you? If so, it's time to do several things. First, it's time to repent. Repent means change the way you think. It's always like turn around, but repentance means changing the way we think, changing the way we see things. It's time to confess that you have been living as if God doesn't care or isn't capable to help you. Face this issue squarely. Ask yourself, do I believe or don't I? Second, it's time to pray. It's time to get alone in the quiet and open your heart to the Father. Don't pretend. Instead, tell him what you are really concerned about. Be honest. Don't stop with superficial platitudes. Make your request known to God. And as you pray, thank him for the, the faithfulness that he has proved in the past. Thank him for his willingness to help. Thank him for his wisdom and his grace. And finally, it's time to enjoy life again. It's time to rest in his arms. It's time to leave the future with the Lord. It's time to give him our worries so that we can experience the joy that comes from grace. Be anxious for nothing. Trust God in all things. Now, I, I miss the fact that uh, you're singing no longer a slave to fear. So that's the, that was my post-sermon hymn song. But Caleb saved the day. So I picked an Be anxious for nothing. Amen.